I want to talk about a guy named Jacob and um, just some of the things he went through in order for God to change some things within him. And so I want to tell you the story first of all, and I'm going to give you the scriptures. I'm certainly not going to take time to read them because they cover a number of chapters. But you can if you are interested enough. But in Genesis 25, we find, we find in that area of Genesis that there's two boys born, um, Esau and Jacob. There were twin boys born to Re Rebekah and Isaac. And they, um, they, even, they didn't get along very good. Esau was um, a favorite of his father uh, because he was a hunter, an outdoorsman, and, and Isaac liked wild game to have for lunch. Whereas Jacob, on the other hand, he stayed around, probably helped his mother make muffins and stuff. I don't know what he was doing, but he was uh, more of a mother's boy, and Esau was a father's boy. And it wasn't really right of the parents to favor them, but that's not part of my message, so we get away. But in this chapter in 25, we find that Jacob deceives Esau, and Esau, who was eligible as the eldest brother of these twins, was supposed to get a birthright, which had a lot to do with inheritance and stuff in those days. We're not always clear how much that meant, but it was a birthright, very valuable, went to the oldest brother, oldest boy in a home, I should say, and Esau was it. So Jacob deceived him into... Um, Getting, it, getting Esau to promise to give it to him just for a meal. So it's kind of foolish, read it. You realize that Esau made a very foolish move there. But Jacob deceived him, kind of manipulated him into what was happening. Then in, verse, in chapter 27, we find that Jacob then gets something else from Esau. Esau was supposed to have a blessing from his father. When a father was dying, he blessed the eldest son, and the other sons, if there were any, they weren't in this one, but the older sons were to serve the elder son, which not, doesn't seem fair today, but that's the way the culture was back then. I don't want to blame the Lord for setting it up. I believe that's just the way their culture had come about. And so Jacob again deceived and got his blessing. And so Esau, it says in one passage, He's consoling himself. He's angry, mind you. He's lost both. He even wept tears over it. Not because of he'd done wrong, but because of what he'd lost, I'm sure. And you see, Jacob starts to realize this guy's jealous of me. As a matter of fact, his mother Rebecca heard Esau telling somebody else, soon as my father is dead, I'm going to kill my brother. And you see, then I guess that means he would get the blessing in the herds because he would then be the only son. And so Rebecca counseled Jacob to fly, to, I'm sorry, flee, to flee to the old family that Abraham had left behind way back, way back in, in Ur the Chaldeans, somewhere back in there, and he was supposed to go back and stay with Laban, because that's, this is Rebecca's brother. And so he did that. Well, he got there, and he, he married a couple of his daughters, which is a story in itself, and he has children, and he is 
but he is controlled and working for Laban. He had to work for Laban to get the women as his wives. And so he is controlled. And um, at one point, Jacob said, he changed my salary 20 times and so on. And so, or 10 times, whatever it was. And so one day he decides to take his two wives. He's got a lot of children at this time and he's going to go back to um, Israel, down back to the homeland, back to where his brother Esau was still there. So that creates a problem. Now, he's in fear of him. If you read third, chapter 32, he's in fear of Esau, but he makes, makes it anyway, gives him a gift, and hopefully it's all consoled, even though we know later on it wasn't. Esau never did forgive him and passed that hatred down to, to his family to somewhere over 1,500 years. Or in the 1,500 years later, give or take a number of years, probably the, the, the Edomites, who was Esau's descendants, attacked Israel. And God says, you did that out of an ancient hostility. That anger was still there passed down from generation to generation. But on his way home, before he met Esau, it says that Jacob wrestled with God. He met with God in the night, and he wrestled with him. Now, that struggling, that wrestling, is when God changed his name to Israel, because he's, that's what the word means. He struggled with God. And so, this is what I conclude from all this. Jacob had within him a controlling, manipulative spirit. Jacob got what he wanted by manipulation and deceit, lying, even with the support of his mother. And so out of that deceitfulness and lie, God said, because he someday will be the heir of the first of the kings of Israel, which started with David, who was in the line of Jesus. Saul wasn't, but David was, and he was looking forward to that time to raising up at least a Jesus in the future. And so he wanted that family line to be good. And so he had to deal with Jacob and do with something that was in him that had caused him to be a manipulator, a controller. And so he wrestled with him. Now, let me imagine for a minute what happened in that wrestling. Yes, it was a physical wrestle, but let's say we wrestle in the spirit with the Lord about things in our life that God wants to change within us. And we wrestle with the Lord in prayer, maybe in prayer and fasting, because the Bible says in Isaiah 58 that Fasting breaks the bonds of wickedness and sets a captive free. And Jacob was captive to manipulation. And, but in order to show him how ugly it was, he had to be under his, his um, uncle Laban for 20 years, realizing the pain and the injustice, the unfairness that comes from living under a manipulator. So it's as if he, he was a manipulator, and then God says, I'm putting him under one to show him how ugly it is. And then I'm going to meet him on the way home. I will wrestle with him. I'm going to deal with his attitude and his heart. 
as he has done with many of us, many of you listening, you know what I'm talking about. God deals with these things because he's looking not only for the furtherance of your family and the goodness of your family, but also for the name of the Lord. Because if I'm a child of God, I'm a reflection of what God is like. Because children reflect mannerisms and personalities of their family. And so in this whole thing of Jacob wrestling with the Lord, he had to let go of that thing that he learned to detest that was in himself, but somebody else had to show him what it was like, mainly his uncle Laban. Now, repentance, it says, doesn't say he repented, but in that struggle, I know there's a repentance or we don't get very far. Listen, the Old Testament prophets talked about repentance. You want to return to the Lord, you have to repent. John the Baptist talked about it. First thing that's recorded is repent. Jesus talked about it. The first thing, it's recorded. That's what he said. Peter talked about it in chapter 3. Times of refreshing, that's what repentance brings. It doesn't bring condemnation, it brings refreshing. That's chapter 3. Paul preached about it. And then we need to realize, in the book of Revelation, Jesus talking to John, the apostle John on the Isle of Patmos, He's talking to him about seven churches in Asia, what was then known as Asia. Of those five had drifted away from the Lord, various reasons. And every time Jesus talked to John and said, this is what they have to do to come back, they have to repent. That word is used in every one of those five exhortations to come back to the Lord. If you think you're going to return to the Lord without repenting, you believe misinformation somewhere. Because the Bible is clear. We need repentance. In Ephesians 4, verse 31, Paul says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. James 1.21, therefore get rid of all moral filth, the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word implanted in you, which can save you. This is what Jesus wants to do in us in Ephesians 4. He wants to be kind and compassionate to one another. He says, be kind and compassionate one another as he is to us. I'm paraphrasing this. Forgiving each other just as Christ God forgave us. See, Jacob was the manipulator and there was things that God had to do to wake him up to how ugly it was so he would change his life. And God, oftentimes, he sees things in us. We're not open to it. We think it's all right. We think we'll get away with it. We don't listen to people that might point it out. We get stubborn. And God says, in order to break that stubbornness, I will have to put you under somebody that's like you, only you'll be under them, and you will now receive more than what you gave, you receive. Jesus said, if we give, and I'm talking about bad stuff right now, you'll receive it back, pressed down, heaped up, shaken together. You'll get more than what you gave. 
And that is what the gospel is all about. He wants to save us. He wants to change us, save us, and bring us into place. But listen, some of you are going through a hard time right now. And it might be because God is trying to sort out, reveal something here. Maybe you should say to the Lord, Lord, show me, is there anything that what I'm going through right now that I have done to other people before? Ask yourself that. This is the word of the Lord. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. This is not my idea. This is not my doctrine. I'm just telling you what the Lord says. When Jacob struggled with God, he hit him in a part of the hip, and Jacob struggled from then on with a limp. I heard somebody say one time, a teacher said, I have trouble working with people in the church that don't have a limp. And others, in other words, there were people that had been hard, cruel, evil in their dealing with people. And God has brought them through a situation where they dealt with it because they come under that. And you see, all of a sudden, that humility, they start to be humble. They start, repentance brings humility. Confessing brings humility. And when you tell other people, look, at, I was wrong. The way I treated those people over there, I was wrong. I realize it now. That's humbling yourself. That's a man with a limp, a person who is humble, a person who understands, I want my heart and my life to be open to the Lord and open to you. I don't want to hide anything that's evil. I don't want to hide any personality that isn't like Jesus' personality. And you see, we have a situation here with Jacob where God put him under a situation that got his attention, got his attention. So struggling with God starts with a repentance and confession. Confession is what humbles us. When I confess to one another, as they say in Acts 19, they openly confess their sins to one another. That's the church. We are humbling ourselves. When I admit to other people, this is what I was, this is what I was like, and this is what God's delivered me from, that's humbling. And that's where God's grace is. The Old Testament says so. Peter quotes it. James quotes it. Let me understand, please, in your hearing, it hasn't changed. God is opposed to proud people, arrogant, self-built, self-motivated people that won't acknowledge God. God is opposed to them. But he gives grace to those who will humble themselves through repentance and confession. I mentioned fasting a minute ago. Fasting, Isaiah 58, 6, breaks the bonds of wickedness, sets the captives free. Jacob needed to be set free from that manipulative, controlling spirit. And God had a plan to do it. And he didn't like it for those 20 years. He didn't like being under Laban's control. But God was showing him, this is how you used to treat. This is how you treated your brother Esau. 
This is how you treated your father by deceiving him into thinking you were Esau to get the blessing. If we struggle with God, it might require making things right with the people we have offended. If we're struggling with God, it might mean we must forgive those who have wronged us. You know, this whole thing of forgiveness, I always, I don't want to say it, it, it amazes me, but I guess I have to because I've heard so many people say, well, I just can't forgive. If you knew what he or she did to me, I just can't forgive. Or if they hadn't hurt me, I wouldn't have to forgive them. No, I'm sorry. If they hadn't hurt me, I, would, I wouldn't have any trouble forgiving them. I generally respond, if they hadn't hurt you, you wouldn't have to forgive them. Well, yeah. Listen to me about forgiveness. It's a choice to be obedient to the Word of God. As God has forgiven us, so we must forgive others. In the Lord's Prayer, it's in there, and a number of times in Scripture. Matthew 18 is one where if we don't forgive, God will not forgive us. Very clear in that story of the servant who wouldn't forgive. We have to forgive. If you want to get to heaven, you have to forgive. Because he said, if you won't forgive, then I won't forgive you. And if you're not forgiven, you're not going to get to heaven. It's a choice. Yes, it can be hard sometimes. The pain stops you. But listen, it's a choice. And don't give up on it. I teach people to not only forgive, but to get rid of the pain. You have to stop talking to people about it. Stop thinking about it. And you stop thinking about it by start vocally blessing that person and praying for love for that person. Jesus said to do both. Bless those that persecute you. Love your neighbors yourself. Bless those. Pray for those who persecute you. He said it. We need to do it. And if we do it, we can be healed from the pain that's inside by the hurt that was done to us. It's worked for me. It's worked for hundreds of others. There's no long, drawn-out hundred years of counseling. It can be done in your home, by yourself, with yourself. Instead of allowing your mind to go back and go back to those situations, you start just saying, Lord, I've forgiven them. I pray for love for them today. I pray you pour out love on them and pour out your blessing on them. If I can bless them in any way, please show me how I can do it. And Lord, fill my heart with love for them. Fill my heart with love for them. If I should ever run into them in the mall or anywhere, I want to be able to respond to them just as if they had never hurt me. That's what the word justification means. Jesus treats me just as if I had never sinned against him. I am justified. And I'm to be in a place where I can say, I have forgiven that person. I have prayed blessing on them. I prayed for love for them. And today I saw them in the parking lot of that store and I was able to wrap my arms around them and call them by name and tell them it's good to see them because I'm healed, because God has filled my heart with love for them. It's not my love, it's from him because God is the one who is love. First John says it twice. And you see, he didn't say God gives love or God God produces love, he, which he does, but he is love, and so I ask him for love. And as I do that, then in those moments, 
when I'm walking down an aisle and somebody comes around the corner and that person's the one that hurt me, I don't have to go, <gasps> look through a back door. I don't have to do that because I'm forgiven. That person, I'm healed because blessing them and praying for love them keeps the wound closed. If you don't talk about it, you keep the wound closed. If you keep opening it by talking about it, it's not going to heal. Think of the wound on your arm. You keep opening it. Oh, I'll just show you how bad it was hurt and pick all the stitches up. No. Leave it closed. Those stitches are the forgiveness. Then go on from there. Sometimes the enemy might have to be reminded that you're forgiven. I say, Lord, I thank you. I've, I've forgiven that person. I know you've forgiven me. But now, Lord, I pray a blessing on that person. I pray you fill my heart with love for them. In the name of Jesus. Listen, folks, let's get rid of the, re the aftermath of rejection. What's the big deal? Jesus said we would be rejected. He was, we will be. But he died on the cross so we can be healed of ours. Works, I wouldn't be here if it didn't work. Now the peace and joy that comes after the battle that we have to fight of blessing somebody that has hurt us and praying for love for somebody that's hurt us, that blessing that, that price we pay is a blessing God wants to pour out on us. You see? God wants to change us. As he wanted to change Jacob. As he wanted to change me. As he wanted to change you. He had to change David. He had to change Job. And he had to take them through situations to prepare David many years in the wilderness being chased by Saul. He had to prepare Job for what was coming. We're not sure what came, but he certainly set an example. God was after some pride in him. When God started talking to him after all the other guys had shut up, God pointed out very clearly there's pride in there. Even though you live a righteous life and you fear the Lord, as said at the beginning, there was pride in there. And you've kept that pride hidden, but I'm dealing with it. That's why Job said, I confess, cover my mouth. Because he knew the Lord had nailed something that he probably wasn't even aware of. He was so used to it, probably wasn't aware of it. So I like to look at Romans 1, verse 16. It literally says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. I like to paraphrase that just a bit. Salvation means that we're saved from something. So let me paraphrase just slightly. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God to change men and women's lives. He'll change lives. Jacob was a changed man. There's people who come to the Lord Jesus Christ, they're converted, we're water baptized, and we say, now I'm going to heaven. God says, well, yes, but there's some things I want to change in there because you're not, the way you live, your personality that's coming out of that character of yours is not a good example of the way Jesus was. And because we're probably, to many people in the world, a Christian, me, you, might be the only Bible they ever read to find out what God is like, God says, I've got to change that. 
And so he takes us through some times of struggling with God, times of, of alone with him, working on things. And I've asked the Lord, please, Lord, if there's anything else on this side, just tell me. I've been through enough stuff. Just come and talk to me about it. I'll repent of it. I'll fast. I'll pray. I'll go for deliverance. I'll go whatever is needed. Please, no more of the stuff I've been through in the past. I've had enough, Lord. Just talk to me about it. And I'll promise you something. He has. And maybe he still has to. Because just as Job couldn't see his pride, there's probably things in me I haven't seen yet. I want to see them. But please, Lord, do it the easy way. Just talk to me about it because I'm so ready to repent. I'm so ready to lay my face before you. I'm so ready to cry out to you. Please, folks, take a lesson from somebody that's older than you are probably. I've been in this, I've been raised in a Christian home, but I didn't know anything about the fullness of the Holy Spirit until I was about 29, 30 years of age. And since then, the Lord's been working on me ever since I want him to work on you because, listen, the fellowship that comes from the suffering. It says in Philippians that we share in the sufferings in order to share in his fellowship. Joseph, I'm sorry, Jacob went through those struggles for 20 years to have a relationship with the Lord, one that was possible in the Old Testament. So listen, he tells us what he wants us to be like. In Galatians 5, it's called the fruit of the Spirit. I'm so anxious to find a church where the people in that church say, we have asked God to grow us up in the fruit of the Spirit. And in that church, we will not have conflict and turmoil, fighting with one another and so on, because this is what the fruit is like. Think of having people in a church like this, the fruit of the Spirit, it's love, love one another, loving each other. And remember, love is patient, love is kind. Whenever you're kind to patient people, that means you love them. When you're patient with people, it means you love. You heard it at the wedding from 1 Corinthians 13. So love, there'll be joy, there'll be peace, there'll be patience, there'll be kindness, there'll be goodness, there'll be faithfulness. There'll be gentleness and self-control. He says, against those, these things, there is no law. Now listen, I should look at that and say, yes, Lord, if there's any of those things that are still back here, I really want to deal with them. I want to struggle with you. I want to wrestle with you, whatever it takes. And you see, this is God's goal. Listen, 2 Corinthians 3.18. I love it. Listen, and we who with unveiled faces, all, in other words, nothing is hidden, we're totally honest, totally humble, with unveiled faces, all reflect the Lord's glory. As a result, we are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. It's not me that can make me holy. It's the Lord who makes me holy, and I'm crying out to him, Lord, 
I want the fruit of the Spirit in my life. I want to be free of anything that would hurt people, disrupt people, or treat them mean. In the name of Jesus, thank you, Lord, for those listening. Put into their hearts, Lord God, a desire in the name of Jesus to be like you. Amen. Thank you for listening. It won't help if you don't do something about it.